Listeners, calling all listeners, can you read us? This is the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast, and welcome back. My name is Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend Walker Howell. Again, this is the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast, and Walker, we have something special going on right now. Oh, yes, we do. It's summertime. It's time to get something good rolling here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, As you may know, Walker and I are students at Fried Harbin University in Henderson, Tennessee, and since he's from Georgia and I'm from West Virginia, that makes recording these episodes a little bit difficult in the summertime, so that's why we're doing this. This is recorded a few months previous, and we're talking with some special guests, Walker. Yes, some special guests indeed, and some of these are actually faculty here from Freed Hardeman, like the one that we have today, Dr. Doug Burleson. Um, he is from Freed Hardeman, and he is a great professor here and a and my advisor for my classes, and so uh, he, he keeps me on track and keeps uh, a bunch of students on track here uh, following God's Word and the Scripture, and we'll let him introduce himself in just a second. Um, but uh, Isaiah, you want to really take us through what we're going to be talking about during this special season? Definitely, Walker. Uh, we're going to be looking at some controversial topics or some, some difficult topics, things that we don't talk about as a church, things that are uncomfortable, things that make us squeamish, but they need to be talked about. Uh, and that's really, really important for today's topic as well. Uh, and we'll introduce that here in a second. Well, uh, we want to welcome in Dr. Burleson, and um, we'll let you uh, introduce yourself and however you wish to introduce yourself, and then we'll proceed from there. Hey, well, thank you. First of all, it is great to be here. Uh, I've been teaching at Freed Hardeman since 2010, and uh, my teaching is half graduate, half undergraduate. I also uh, am the assistant dean in the College of Biblical Studies and direct the lectureship, and I'm blessed to be one of the preachers at the Estes Church of Christ here in town. But the greatest thing is I'm a Christian. I'm married to Christy. We have four kids, Eden, Canaan, Jordan, and Haven. And uh, I just want to help the kingdom and appreciate talking about topics even when they're difficult. Indeed. Uh, Isaiah, the topic that we're dealing with today is something that a lot of people struggle with in society today. Um, And whenever we talk about these topics, as we've addressed in season two and as we'll continue to address, we're going to approach these topics with love and with truth. But we're also going to approach them uh, with what the Bible has to say. And we're not going to sway from what the Bible has to say in no way, shape, or form. Absolutely, Walker. And again, this is the, the, Bible's, uh, the Bible's commands, right? This is God's words. This is God's commands for us. These are not our opinions. Uh, and, and just in case you're new and, or you haven't been listening, uh, our goal here on the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast is to look at worldly problems from a godly perspective. And... The worldly problem that we're looking at today is actually three problems, uh, and we're putting them into one episode, and those problems are pornography, sex, and drugs. And these are things that affect a lot of people. Uh, I know in in my area back home in West Virginia, there's a lot of issues with uh, drug addiction, and I know from experience in public high school and being here at Freed that even though we don't really talk about it, uh, especially because we don't really talk about it, the issues of pornography and sex are rampant. Indeed. And uh, while we were doing some research for this podcast, we found um, that about 200,000 Americans are classified as uh, porn addicts. And um, we see that 40 million American people uh, visit porn sites regularly. And 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 
And so as we dive into this first issue dealing with pornography, um, it, we see from the numbers that it's a big issue. But I think it's important that we define our terms before we actually get into this discussion. So Isaiah, what, what is porn? Or what qualifies as porn, I should say? Well, it's, it's videos or pictures or sometimes even written literature. or it, It's designed for, to arouse. It's designed for sexual, sec, excuse me, sexual gratification. Um, uh, like I said, it's designed for the purpose of arousal, for getting the, the sex chemicals, so to speak, in your brain, getting them working, getting them into overdrive. Yeah, and this is where we bring in Dr. Burleson, and uh, we, we get the conversation sort of flowing here. So Dr. Burleson, what, what makes pornography wrong? Yeah, so uh, I think what's interesting about our discussion today is that you really only have one thing that is implicitly evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, pornography is a problem. Right. Sex is something good when used appropriately, as well as drugs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think we're advocating that no drugs are good drugs. Uh, but pornography, uh, I think about as a case study here, this is going to seem odd for a way to begin, mm -hmm. But I think about what happens in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6, uh, when Adam and Eve are there in the garden. We're very familiar with this story. And you have uh, this occasion when the woman, Eve, in Genesis 3 verse 6, sees that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate and their eyes were opened. And I think the reason that's an interesting parallel is because, and we've had this discussion a lot over the last couple of years with regard to art and with regard to the medical field, it is not nudity that is inherently sinful. If you're a physician, if you are a nurse, you may be needing to administer care to someone. If you are a hospice nurse in particular, but it truly is, the sort of change that we see, I remember as a little kid, our cousins would sometimes play out in the yard and we might not have been all that modest. Mm -hmm. And even though our bodies have changed since then, what really changed was our mind and the fact that we saw something in a different way and we sort of looked at that in a different way and thought about that in a different way. So fruit hanging on a tree is not inherently sinful. Right. And seeing that fruit hanging on a tree Sometimes you may accidentally see that. Sometimes you may see that because of your profession. But it's what you do with that. It's how you gaze at that. It's how you dwell on that. It's how you act out on that. And, and interestingly, when in 1 John we read about temptation, uh, the way that the Spirit of God describes that in 1 John two sixteen is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And it seems like Eve's view of that fruit sort of hits all those categories. So, but specifically, I think with pornography, uh, it is not only the problem of lust, uh, which Jesus very clearly addressed in Matthew 5, 28, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but it's also the problem of exploitation. It really doesn't matter what the intent of the one participating in that in terms of the man or woman that's allowing themselves to be photographed or filmed or the person who may be written about in a given context because it may be that they are just looking for a way to provide for themselves. But that doesn't justify the practice because it's not only promoting lust, but it's also really about 
taking something that God designed for good and putting that in a context where it's easily abused. I think one reason pornography is so popular is because it, it makes people think they can have intimacy without real connection. They can sort of have a payoff uh, without having to work on a relationship, without having to think about the fact that the person they are lusting after was made in God's image and Christ died for him or her. Uh, and rather than thinking about how to love their neighbor and serve them and, and uh, be with them in heaven, they're basically looking at them as an object of lust for instant gratification without any regard for who that person is. And this is, this is the real pandemic. It's something that uh, is eating our lunch, secret sin. I, I think it's difficult for preachers to address because how do you speak from the pulpit uh, explicitly? I don't want my kids learning about the birds and the bees from some preacher. Right. But at the same time, uh, we can't talk about this among God's people. Are we just gonna pretend like this isn't destroying homes? It's not creating addiction. It's not ruining marriages. Uh, we've we've got a lot of work to do in this regard. Absolutely, and and like you said, the church needs to talk about this. Uh, I know that this is something personally that I've dealt with in the past, uh, and and still honestly dealing with right now is is being you know able to see all of these things online that I'm not supposed to be able to see. And for a long time, I would beat myself up over this. You know, I'm such oh, I'm such a terrible Christian because I keep falling back into the sin and I didn't really talk to this about talk to this with anyone especially back home uh, but then I came to freed and I met a lot of other guys my age who were also trying to serve God and I didn't really have that back home and once we you know we grown closer we I started to discover that this is not just a me problem uh, I think the word I used earlier was rampant I don't I don't think there's any Christian teen regardless of male or female, that has not been exposed to this in some way. Um, and a lot of people, especially young people in the church, are dealing with this, are struggling with this issue. And, it part, and it's partly because we don't talk about it. Um, the world talks about it, the world has an opinion on it, and the church is silent. And because the church is silent, people need, and people realize they need to know about this issue, they only have one place to turn, and that's the world. That's right. Um, and I want to point out some verses that we have written down here. First one being Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. Uh, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so as we think about these things, we see here Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he's, uh, and particularly in chapter 8, he is uh, talking about um, uh, being free from sin and dwelling uh, in you. And um, and here he, he's wanting us to turn away from this lifestyle, but it can be hard, especially for someone who really struggles uh, with this, like you were saying, because uh, we, we've addressed it um, previously that there's a lot of people who struggle with this issue and, um, and it's just trying to figure out a way to overcome this addiction. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a cycle of shame and mm-hmm. the tragic uh, reality is the flesh is so strong a force i think when paul's talking about this you know for example in galatians 5:16 where he offers a real alternative to walking according to flesh and that's living according to the spirit i mean he says something similar 
in Romans 6, uh, 12 and 13 regarding how we died of sin and now we are alive to God. And what does that mean? What does it mean to focus on things above? I've got two daughters and two sons that I love and want to serve and want to equip um, who are growing up in a different reality than I did. You know, back in the day, unless somebody had some kind of pornographic magazine or access to some pornographic TV channel, uh, you know, before Al Gore invented the internet, there wasn't a whole lot, that's a joke, but there wasn't a whole lot that you could get your hands on. And now um, smartphones and uh, those sort of sorts of devices, although not inherently evil, uh, boy, I mean, access at your fingertips whenever you want that. And I just think uh, we're in a battle. Uh, there's there's a spiritual component to this, and uh, it's not enough to say save yourself from marriage. Uh, we also have to be willing to forgive. We have to be willing to say, look, if this is something you've walked down this road and it's been difficult to overcome, you can be made clean. You can have a sustaining relationship in marriage if you choose to go that way. But it, it's, it's degrading. It is uh, it's a cycle of shame. And I just see a lot of people trapped in this thinking there's no way out. And it's in part because we're unwilling to be transparent. We're unwilling to, to be real. And I think that's a good part of starting the healing process is becoming transparent. Like I mentioned with my uh, temptations with this issue earlier, part of the reason why I was beating myself up about it was because I wasn't talking to anyone else. The only people I was talking to were myself, right? I wasn't going to someone else for advice. I wasn't turning to my brothers and sisters in Christ for help when I should have. And honestly, I probably wasn't even turning to God as much as I should have been. But, you know, when you start allowing people to help you, when you drop that mask, when you drop that uh, that act that you've been playing, right, that, that character that you've invented, and let people actually see the real you and the real struggle that you're going through, that's the only time when people can actually help. Very true. Uh, I'm reminded whenever we talk about this idea of being a genuine or authentic Christian, Romans 12, 1 and 2, whenever... Uh, Paul there is saying, uh, therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing. Um, and then he goes into verse 2 talking about transforming your mind and setting your minds on uh, spiritual things and not on things of this world. And so I think it, it it's, it's a big transformation process mentally, like we talked about. It's a psychological process, but um, it's definitely one that uh, it, we, we can definitely um, overcome most definitely. Absolutely, Walker. And I love the fact that you've said the word overcome, right? This Because this is something that we can beat. I, I have friends who struggled with this for years and are now, you know, clean, right? They're, they're able to get past this. Uh, and so, Dr. Burleson, our question for you is what biblical advice do you have for those who are still in the midst of that trap, who are still going through this uh, addiction and still trying to fight their way out? Yeah, so I think a big part of this is obviously shame, which is not always bad. I think godly sorrow ought to lead to repentance, but maybe we start with some reminders. I've heard some sermons on marriage and maybe even on sex that I walked away wondering, you know, is marriage good? I mean, the way this, this sounds, we talk so much about problems that may be a reminder that God, God gave us sexuality. God made us this way. God has given us the opportunity to have an appropriate way to express our, commit, 
our commitment to someone uh, in this way. So we've talked about transparency. I think accountability is huge. And that, okay, software filters are great, but people who are truly looking for a way around that are going to find a way around that. It's got to involve a change of mind, a change of heart, somebody who you can trust to, to call you on it and you care about what they think. It can't be somebody that you know has the same struggle and they're going to give you an out because they want an out. It has to be somebody who you can rely on. Uh, if you're married, maybe a spouse. And that's another thing. I think integrity demands that we be honest. And I, I, I think there are people who believe that this problem will go away when they're married. Um, that's not necessarily true. Uh, this problem could persist when the honeymoon's over. I, I knew a a man who was a widower uh, in his late 80s who was still struggling with this problem. So this isn't tied to age. And by the way, it's not just men. I've counseled a lot of young ladies who struggle with this too. And so accountability, transparency. My favorite metaphor on this uh, came from the little book, Every Young Man's Battle. And the idea was that you know pornography and addiction is like a huge sumo wrestler who every day just whips you. You know, and you're thinking, tomorrow I'm going to get this guy. And he's huge, and he's going to come in there. And when that urge hits, first of all, you got to find something to do with that. Uh, you got to leave that. You've got to replace that. You've got to recognize that we all have triggers. And when you're triggered, you know, you got to find a way to fight through that and, and not just succumb to that and rationalize that. But the image there was you got to starve the sumo. And you're really the only person who has the power to control how much you feed that addiction. Because the more you give that sumo, the bigger he's going to get and the more he's going to want. And so by starving the sumo, eventually, with God's help, you can win that fight. But that demands transparency. That demands honesty. It's a way of thinking. And, you know, a lot of people are looking for a spouse that's a God-fearing, humble person on the, on the street, but is someone very different in the bedroom. And, you know, I think learning to express, what does Hebrews 13, 4 say? Marriage is to be held in honor among all. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. God will judge fornicators and adulterers. And so we've got to do a better job teaching that uh, human sexuality can actually be a really healthy and beautiful thing. And so there's a time and a place. Uh, I think that's why Jesus, his teaching was so hard in Matthew 19 that the disciples said, we can't do this. And Jesus comes back with, some of them made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom. Wow. So discipleship may demand, if somebody's in a place where they can't get married, that you find some other way of dealing with what feels like uh, oppression. It, it, it may be addiction. And because of that, you've got to find professional help. You've got to find, I know that there are some medications that some take. You've got to find accountability. Uh, you've got to cut off access. You've got to starve the sumo. But somebody who loves gratifying the flesh doesn't want any of that. And so it's not like day one you're going to be pumped about giving up something that gives you a payoff. I mean, there's... There's, an, there's adrenaline, right? There are things that are tied to that, that there's a reason why people want to do that. Definitely. And that was a, a great answer. Uh, integrity, transparency, honesty, all of those things are, are critical. Um, 
And I think when we're, when we're looking at the, the topic of pornography, we need to look at its root. We need to look at what's causing that. And that is the want for sex, right? The, the want for sex, the want for connection, the want for intimate, the wants for intimacy. Uh, so that's, that's the second thing that we're going to be talking about on the show today is the, the problem today with sex. And of course, uh, this is an issue before marriage. It's an issue outside of marriage. I think it's very clear that the Bible expects the marriage bed to remain undefiled. Like we referenced uh, Hebrews 13 earlier. Uh, and, and we were looking at Genesis chapter 3 earlier with, with Adam and Eve. I think it's very, very clear that God has designed sex to be between one man and his wife for life. That's right. And th- and um, and that's where we bring in Dr. Burleson again. And we want to know, does the Bible give a biblical view on sex? And if so... What is that biblical view? Yeah, Christian history is replete with examples of getting this wrong. I mean, there are people who have taught sex is only appropriate for procreation. Um, There are others who have taught sex is the gratification of the flesh, and it's never appropriate. But I think a biblical worldview, from the very beginning, right? Whenever Jesus talks about this, he goes back to creation. That seems to me, if we want to go through the eyes of Jesus, a great place to go. <laughs> Genesis 2, right? Especially 18. Mm-hmm. He sees that it's not good for man to be alone. He could have created another you know, animal. He could have created two or three women. Uh, but one of the messages in Scripture is <clears throat> there's a complementary relationship here. Men are not from Mars. Women are not from Venus. We were made from God. We complement one another. Not just physically, but in a lot of other ways. And part of what happens, okay, I think it's really significant theologically that the order in Genesis 2 is God, man, woman, serpent. And what happens in Genesis 3? That gets flipped on its head. Satan goes to woman. She goes to man. They hide from God. And so the order of Genesis 2 is replaced with the chaos of Genesis 3. And a part of what results from that is this competition, this fleshly way of thinking about one another, that continues to plague our world in a number of ways. And so uh, another example of where Christian history has gotten this wrong is the Song of Solomon, where we've wanted to allegorize this and make it about, you know, a couple of the hymns that we sing are really uh, allegorically tied to an idea that's probably more about sex than about God's love for the church. But I, I think that at the very center of the Song of Solomon is the honeymoon. And part of the message of that book is before marriage, in marriage, and even after marital conflict, there's always a place for restraint. You know, when you're married, it doesn't mean that whenever you want to go into your spouse's uh, area and demand sex, that that's what's going to happen. There's communication. There's there's respect. There's an acknowledgement of personhood. And and so the Song of Solomon, I think the tagline, we want to hashtag this, it's cool, like... <clears throat> Monogamous is not monotonous. That's that's the message. But in our world, it's like, you know, why would I want to have marriage when I could just basically rent cars instead of buying one? Why would I? I want to shack up with somebody and sort of test drive this relationship, basically have all the privileges of that. And so, and again, we've got to make sure we preach a gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation because we're all damaged goods. But the way we sometimes talk about this, it's like, hey, if you've messed this up, tough, 
tough news. You're, you're stained and broken and there's no hope for you. That's not the gospel. But on the other hand, let's help people see, I, I think there are a lot of Christians and I do enough premarital counseling where I see this all the time. They've heard their whole life. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. Oh, honeymoon. It's great. And flipping that switch for a lot of people is tough, and we've got to do a better job of preaching. Sex is not bad. It's just like the apple or whatever fruit that was hanging on the tree in Genesis 3. What's bad is using that in an inappropriate context. And that's where we are. And so there's sort of this utilitarian, hey, if everybody's doing it, then I should be able to do it too. If everybody's struggling with this, then it's cool for me to struggle with this too. Why should I be the only Puritan in the the room? And... You know, we, we've got to do a better job of talking about the right place for sex. And I just don't know always how to do that from the pulpit. But, you know, we've got to have some men's ministries and some women's ministries and some accountability because the world's going to teach our kids about sex. Right. And I'm not sure we want that message, mm-hmm. what they're living out, right? Right. Um, and I think it's important for us when we're looking at this topic to remember the fact that it is a gift, mm-hmm. right? Sex isn't just something that we just happen to discover. It's not just something that, you know, randomly someone was like, what happens if, right? <laughs> that, it's a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like any other gift from God, it's conditional, right? Just like salvation, right? Salvation is a gift from God that we did not deserve. Mm-hmm. But we still have to get you know, we still have to accept those terms and conditions, if you will, right? You know, like if you're buying something online, you have to accept the terms and conditions, which we never read. We should. We never read. Um, but, you know, it's the same thing with, with sex. It's a gift from God that we should use in the right context. And I think it's also important for us to realize yet what, what Dr. Rolson was talking about, you know, all, all of my life. I, I can agree with the statement that he made that all of my life I've heard, don't have sex. Don't have sex. Sex is bad. Wait till marriage. Sex is bad. Whoa, don't do that, right? Mm -hmm. And I love my parents, but they never actually sat me down and, you know, explained this is what sex is. This is who it's for. This is what it does. And this is why it can be good, right? And like Dr. Burleson said, because my parents were silent on that, because the church was silent about that, I turned to the world. And that's how I got involved with a lot of the things that I was talking about earlier, uh, I was looking for answers because I couldn't find any within the church. I couldn't find any within my, my home. Um, but we need to remember, again, A, sex is a gift, and B, sex is used for intimacy, right? We were, we were talking about this earlier about how the male and the female, I think we were talking about this on a different episode even, the male and the female bodies are perfectly created for each other. And even more than that, the male and the female brains are perfectly made for each other. Mm-hmm. Right, we are the yin and the yang, the 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 two sides coming together to form one. Right, right? that's what Paul's talking about, uh, and Jesus is talking about when they say the two shall become one flesh. Right, it's one person and another person coming together to form one holy matrimony. And you know, I, I don't have the 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 names of all these chemicals off the top of my head, but you know. <laughs> There, there are things that are released in our brain when we have sex, and these things create a bond. They create a, a relationship. Uh, and so when we're joining ourselves to a prostitute or we're joining ourselves to someone who is not our spouse, 
then we're creating that bond that we're supposed to have with our spouse with someone else. And this happens with porn too. When we watch those videos, when we see those pictures, when we read that literature, we are creating that bond between us and this other person that should be saved for our spouse. This is a special occasion, right? We're not supposed to have multiple spouses. We're not supposed to have, you know, multiple partners. This is a special relationship between one man and one woman. Definitely. Uh, I want to go back to something that uh, we've hit on a couple times before we've gotten to this point, and that is uh, accountability and having someone to hold you accountable. Really, we could throw this in at the conclusion and uh, put this in after we talked about all three points, but I think it's important to address now, and that is find someone that you feel comfortable talking to about your issues, about whatever you're struggling with, whether it's these issues that we're talking about today or some other issues that we've talked about in the past, because um, I think oftentimes I'm guilty of this, and I know Isaiah expressed earlier about how we oftentimes just hold things up in our in our heads, and we try to handle things on our own, and we try to handle our own problems by ourselves, but that's not healthy for us. It doesn't help us in our decision-making. It doesn't help us in our spiritual lives in no way, shape, or form. And so find someone that you're able to talk to. The second thing I want to hit on is that we talked about uh, whenever, the, uh, whenever, we are not taught, whenever we're not taught about sex and pornography and all these things whenever we're little. Um, and we talked about how, uh, I mean, personally me, I was never taught about how pornography was wrong whenever I was little. I wasn't taught about I was always taught, like Isaiah was, sex is wrong, sex is wrong, don't do it before you're married, all these different things. And then, uh, and then as Dr. Burleson addressed, we get to the honeymoon stage, and then that totally gets flipped on his head. You know, um, while I'm here at Free Hardeman, I've learned that uh, the power of the silence of scriptures. And as we've looked at the silence of scriptures, we know that if the scripture doesn't say something, then that means it's more than likely something that God would not support. However, the world looks at it in a different way. If the scripture doesn't say something explicitly, then that means God would be okay with it. And so I think whenever we look at these issues and the issues in the future, it's going to be trying to turn that uh, re- that concept that the silence of scriptures in the world's view is okay by God. But in all reality, the silence of scriptures in God's view is anything that I do not say in this book is more than likely not something that I would support. Would y'all agree or disagree? I I would definitely agree. Um, I just want to give an example of the signs of the scriptures just so our listeners at home have something to to compare it Mm -hmm. to. Uh, When we take the Lord's Supper, we do it every Sunday to remember the death of our Lord, to remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross. We see uh, in the Gospels, uh, I'm looking at Matthew chapter 26, uh, and starting in verse 26, Jesus took the bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. And we see from other passages in the scriptures that this bread was unleavened. It did not have uh, leaven or yeast in it. It was flat, did not rise. And we see that what, what was in the cup was grape juice. Now, the silence of the scriptures here says bread and grape juice, right? That's what we partake of when we take of the communion. That's what we have when we take the Lord's Supper. It would be ridiculous for us to say, all right, you know what? Today, instead of doing unleavened bread and grape juice, what if we have Doritos and Baja Blast? Let's just go to Taco Bell for the Lord's Supper, right? Let's just go to Taco Bell. The Bible never says that we can't do that. Right. Some, some people would look at it this way. So the Bible never says that we can't have Doritos and Baja Blast from Taco Bell as the Lord's Supper. 
But what the Bible does say is bread and grape juice. That excludes everything else, right? Like, uh, for example, if I was working at a pizza restaurant and Walker comes in and says, I want a pepperoni pizza. We know in our minds what that means. We know that that means he wants a pizza with only pepperoni on it. We don't, he doesn't have to say, I want pepperoni, but I do not want black olives or peppers or sausage. He doesn't have to say that because we understand when he says, I want this, that excludes every other option. I want to briefly change the subject because all this talk about Taco Bell and pizza is making me <laughs> really hungry. But let me just, if, if I might, mention two quick things. One, not everybody has to get married, right? I mean, there is a... 1 Corinthians 7 is a challenging passage because people want to talk about what does Paul mean when he says it's better for you to remain unmarried as I am and what about his background? And But I mean, the way that chapter begins, regardless of what you do with the context there, he says it's because of immoralities, it's because of lust that some people, for them, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So I think that suggests that in Paul's case and our Lord's case and maybe John the Baptizer's case, that there were men and, and women who choose to remain single and can be faithful Christians. So that leads me to a second quick observation. In our world, personhood has now been defined almost entirely by sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you start with. And I think sexuality is a part of personhood, but it is not the most important part. It is not the loudest part. And and maybe calling us back to how we've been made, who we are to reflect. The first thing that somebody ought to know about me is that I'm a follower of Christ. And so how can I do that if I'm looking for every opportunity to lust after another woman I can get, right? How can I have the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, self-control, patience, kindness, love? How can I uh, demonstrate those things when I'm really just about one thing? And that's where I think pornography and extramarital affairs take us. And so, yeah, the law of exclusion and prohibitive silence are important hermeneutical principles. But I think this is just as much about the character of God and how he has made us to reflect his image. And Christians, sadly, are not only in the world, but now a lot of Christians, I think, are living in a manner that is of the world because we're not distinctive in this regard at all. We could talk about same-sex attraction. We could talk about gender dysphoria. There's a lot of stuff in the realm of sexual ethics where what preacher, you know, what theologian, what youth leader is, is really talking about this? And how can you talk about this? And because our kids, whether they're homeschooled or private schooled or public schooled, they're not living under a rock. Right. And so where's the other side of this saying, Hey, what you're hearing out there is is false, but here's the truth. Here's here's something that's from God. That's right. Um, you know, we talked about earlier about the idea of uh, going about how God established. Um, we hit briefly on how God established the principles of marriage back in the very beginning in Genesis, and we and we've hit on this before in previous episodes about how important that is because whenever whenever we see um, Old Testament, especially at creation referenced uh, in the New Testament, um, we know that it's important. And so we see that for the, bi- for the biblical principles of marriage and for the sexual, er, for the, how we're supposed to uh, conduct ourselves um, sexually 
and all these different things. And whenever we see these things established back in Genesis, we know that this is something that God is strong about. This is something that he uh, wants us to understand. And so that's why he references it uh, not only in the New Testament, but he also references it at the very beginning of creation. Definitely, Walker. And, you know, something that I, I've noticed that, uh, you know, about the two topics that we've mentioned so far, about pornography and about sex, something that we haven't discussed yet is the fact that another reason why they can be bad is because they are distracting us from what's really important, mm-hmm. right? If we're spending time looking at porn or spending time lusting after someone, wanting to have sex with them, that distracts us from what's really important. And I'm very, very guilty of this, as I've already alluded to. Uh, and I think that's where our last point comes into play as well. Drugs, right? And as Dr. Burleson mentioned, we're not advocating to stop taking any medication, right? There's a lot of medication out there that is very, very helpful, right? Whether it be for something as mild as seasonal allergies or if it be for pain medication for someone going through a very difficult surgery or operation, uh, there's all kinds of benefits to medicine. You know, there's some that help people with anxiety. There's some that, you know, like chemotherapy, that's a, that's a drug, right? But the kind of drugs that we want to look at are especially like illegal ones or even legal ones like alcohol uh, because they, they take our focus away from God. They, they take our attention away from what's really important. Uh, but Dr. Burleson, what other reasons can you think of that, you know, illegal drugs or things like alcohol, why should Christians not partake in those? Well, yeah, even prescription drugs can be abused. I mean, people can doctor shop and get on enough oxycodone and some other drugs that uh, it helps them to sort of, at least in their thinking, escape pain. I think that's why a lot of people pursue this. So with what you've said withstanding that we're not, this is not an inherent condemnation of all drugs, but the fact that like with nudity, like with sexuality, it's the use of that, it's the intent with that, it's the dependence upon that. And so it's interesting to me how much the Bible has to say about alcohol. Now this is touchy because the way we sometimes hear this taught is either one sip, you know, drunk, uh, you don't, it's a teetotaler position, if you drink any of this, you're a sinner, or drunkenness is a sin, but social drinking is permissible depending upon culture, But what I would point people to, we'll just use alcohol as an example. I think the principle would apply to any mind-altering drug that prohibits us from demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit or being the light of the world, Uh, the light of Christ, I should say. He is the light of the world. But uh, So just a few passages to consider. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Now in Proverbs, you're not going to get the kind of propositional truth that you get in Paul's epistles, direct statements. But what you find out is that the person who partakes of alcohol will likely end up with some unexplained wounds and some ruined relationships. The same thing is said about the king in Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7, who because of alcohol may forget their decisions and decrees. Uh, The ones who party, Isaiah 5, 11 through 12, who, because of their partying, are not able to live up to God's covenant standards. The ones who, Isaiah 28, 7 and 8, who, because of alcohol, 
reel and stagger <clears throat> and vomit all over the place, uh, that's not exactly going to be a way that we win souls to Christ. And even Paul, we've talked about flesh and spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. So uh, I think it's, it's not really about culture. It's about clarity of thinking and the ability to demonstrate what it is Christ wants me to live for. And I just don't see how alcohol can in any way you know, I know people will argue for medicinal use because of what Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. It seems to me that we're now blessed to live in a place where that counsel isn't as helpful because we have a number of medicines that do not intoxicate, that do not cause us to be inebriated. And so why would I? You know, I think a bigger question here would be, how can my partaking in any drug, uh, unless it's for a medicinal purpose and doesn't inherently violate God's purpose, help me be Christ-like in my behavior or with my words. Uh, how can a drunk person lead someone else to Christ? How can someone who staggers and who forgets responsibility bear the fruit of the Spirit? So I know some may say, well, back to the law of exclusion, the Bible doesn't say not to do it, I would suggest that every passage that calls us to sobriety and living in the spirit and trusting in the Lord, not in our own ability to cover up problems with something that doesn't really offer any hope, uh, that every one of those principles goes against dependence. And, and may the church do more in this. I, I can tell a happy story here of a congregation I used to serve a long way from here who spent over $30,000 putting one of their deacons through rehab because he was addicted to painkillers. And he's clean and he was able to save his family and he's been sober now for a long time. But the church recognized, you know what? This isn't always about praying that temptation away. Sometimes you've got to get real help from professionals. You've got to confess this is something I'm struggling with. And and sadly, for a lot of people, it's not until you sort of hit rock bottom that that becomes evident with some kind of public intoxication or losing your job or a DUI or some kind of domestic abuse situation. So uh, it's serious. And just like porn, it's accessible now more than ever. Um, I served in a community not far from here where uh, meth, uh, meth preparation and taking meth was a really cheap, easy way to get a high. And uh, there are a lot of people who've not been good stewards of, of their health or their time because it was just an easy way to get a fix and sort of escape, uh, at least in their thinking, not really, escape some pain. Right. I really like that point, Dr. Brillison, and, and something that you said, uh, sobriety, right? Uh, how can we be of sober mind? How can we be of sound mind if we are under the influence of alcohol, if we are under the influence of marijuana, if we are under the influence of whatever it is that alters our mental state, right? How can we make decisions that glorify Christ? How can we make decisions that bring people to, to God if our minds are clouded, if we're using something that messes with our ability to, uh, to make rational decisions, 
Now, I'm reminded of, of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, where Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How are we going to watch out for the devil if we are not sober-minded? How are we going to avoid the temptations and the pitfalls of life if we cannot even think for ourselves? And then additionally, to add on to Dr. Brolson's point, not only do we lose our ability to think rationally, but oftentimes because of that loss, we hurt people so badly. Uh, he mentioned the fact that drugs can absolutely destroy relationships. And, you know, we can see that all the time in, in media or unfortunately even in those around us and sometimes even those we love dearly. Um, you know, we look, you can just Google drunk driving and you'll find tons and tons and tons of stories of someone who was just minding their own business and then got hit by someone who was driving while intoxicated. And a lot of the times, those people who are in those accidents, they either die or can never go back to the same way of life that they had before the accident. And again, it's nothing of their fault. It's because someone else made the decision to lose the ability to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And so, again, we're not saying don't take any drugs. We're saying watch out for the drugs that restrict your ability to make sound judgment especially ones like alcohol or LSD or what have you. And also with what Dr. Burleson was saying about uh, n not using drugs where they prevent you from living out the fruit of the spirit. Um, I think that's also important because we often forget that our body is a temple that God created and that he wants us to, uh, he wants us to use our bodies to glorify him. And we are just his hands and his feet as we read, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's in First Corinthians about us being his hands and his feet and we are his temple. And I know the temple passages in First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit um, who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not of your own? And, you know, when we think about our bodies being a temple, I think it's important to keep in mind with what Isaiah said and what Dr. Burleson said, um, you know, not to uh, use these things, um, not necessarily because they're wrong, but because uh, because your body is a temple and that we need to keep in mind what we're putting inside of our uh, temple, so to say. And is what we're putting inside of us, is that beneficial to the kingdom? Is that beneficial to our servanthood? Is that beneficial to our evangelism? Um, and it all goes into transforming our minds like we talked about this whole episode. Uh, it's a psychological process. We talked about that being a psychological process with pornography. I think it's a psychological process with sex, and it's also a psychological process with drugs as well. All of this plays into the psychological aspect and how we think and our thoughts and where our mind is. And so that brings us into our final point of, well, how do we handle these difficult topics? We know that this is a psychological process, and we often say set your minds on things above and all these different things, but that's oftentimes easier said than done. I think when we look at addressing these topics, we need to remember that, you know, we in the church are not safe from right. this. These issues are right behind us. They're surrounding us. You know, not only people who are not Christians, but as we've talked about, you know, with, with my issues or with the, the deacon who was addicted to painkillers or, or what have you, right? The problem is in the you know, when, when we look at these topics, when we look at the subjects of pornography and sex and drugs, 
we need to remember as Christians that we're not free from this issue. We're not, you know, out of, out of the way of these problems. These problems are in the church, right? I, I mentioned my struggles and how I've connected with so many people here at school or in other places who are dealing with the same issue, even though they are Christians. Dr. Burleson brought up the deacon at the congregation that he used to work with who was addicted to painkillers. All of these things, and, and there's so many more examples that I'm sure I could think of if I really tried, that show that the church is not free from these issues. This is not just a world problem. This is a problem. And we are all having to deal with it. We all have to handle these difficult topics like pornography, like sex, like drugs. And so the question becomes for us as Christians, how do we discuss these difficult topics, especially for the youth, Mm -hmm. right? You know, Dr. Burleson was mentioning earlier about how he needs to educate his, his children in these things. And, you know, Walker, if you and I ever become parents, we'll need to do the same thing. We need to be able to figure out how we can address these difficult issues, these issues that we don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out how to talk about them. And so, Dr. Burleson, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think being mindful of what's age and audience appropriate, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, as tempting as it is to preach about the circumcision of Abraham every Sunday, uh, dealing with things that are actually relevant for people who are struggling with life and tying that to the text. I mean, God is not surprised by the problems we're having. Uh, This is the nature of the flesh. And so uh, we've got to be real with this. Again, the world is going to educate our young people. It's going to offer a way out for anybody that's looking for that. And if we can call people back to holiness and accountability, uh, this is an old cliche that's probably worn out and overused, but May God help the church to be a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for saints, mm-hmm. right? A place where we can be honest. Uh, there are going to be some people who probably are not going to get that because they were raised at a time when access was different, but the problems were still real, right? I mean, if you go back and look at the history of the Lord's church, you're going to see a lot of stories of redemption, but those stories began with preachers and church leaders who hid sexual sin Because they thought, you know, if I confess this and I'm transparent about this, I may lose my job. I'll not get to speak there anymore. And no one will respect me anymore. But I I have a great deal of respect for people who are honest about this struggle and who then sort of say, hey, I'm in the fight with you, not I'm holier than thou. And so it starts with a willingness to say, I'm a sinner just like you, and my struggles might not look exactly like yours look, but may we forever do away with sweeping this under the rug mm-hmm. or giving me... I remember I was at a a youth rally one time, and the speaker, I'm sure, did not mean anything by this. But he was talking about purity, and he said, who wants the Snickers bar? He held it up for everybody to see. Well, I, I love Snickers bar. That's one of my... Might not want to apply that to the your body's a temple passage too closely, but he uh somebody in the very back, you know, wanted the Snickers bar, so he unwrapped it and said, Okay, we'll pass this back. And the idea was nobody wants to see a Snickers bar that's been passed to the very back of the auditorium. And as powerful 
as that image is, the problem with that metaphor is people are not Snickers bars. People can be washed pure. And, and while there are consequences for sin, I think purity culture has sort of suggested that once you have gone down this road, there's no redemption, there's no purity, there's no forgiveness, there's no satisfaction in marriage. So, you know, may the Lord help us to talk about purity and avoidance of sexual sin, but also about redemption and how, you know, those images are gonna be in your mind and you're gonna, there are things that may trigger you that you just still, even 10 years clean, may have to avoid and think about and have accountability with. It's like any other addiction, but uh, we've got to be honest. We've got to be transparent. And one of the things I love about your generation, not that I'm a big generational you know, <laughs> guy, but is that in general, I found uh, your generation to be far more honest than mine has been. And so um, the shirts, you know, porn is the real drug and all this stuff. Hey, if, if people are willing to confess that and deal with that, well, then maybe we'll be real with regard to other things as well. But, but it starts with preaching the whole counsel of God, which applies just as much to human sexuality mm-hmm. as it does to any other topic we might discuss. Definitely. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about three serious topics today, uh, topics that, like we've mentioned, are hard to discuss. They're hard to talk about. And we also talked about having someone to talk to and we're here to be that resource for you. We want to help you. We want to um, try to uh, be that person that you can lean on to talk to uh, if you need anything at all. Um, we have a number if you want to reach out to us, you're more than welcome to, 731-439-9671. Um, you can reach out to us. We'll be more than happy to help you. We also just recently launched our website, and so uh, you're more than welcome to submit a anonymous inquiry on there and we'll be more than happy to help you through there you can also find more resources for each of our podcast episodes some discussion questions and other uh, helpful things that may help you uh, study this topic and other topics that we've discussed before uh, on there as well and you can also find us on facebook and instagram um, and uh, we're always available to be reached through there as well we have all these different ways to be that resource for you, and we want to hear your questions because we know that these topics bring about bring up questions that we may not have addressed on here. And so we're planning to dedicate a whole episode just to questions that the viewers have. And so we want to have your questions so we can address those on that episode or over a series of episodes. Um, and so uh, please send us your questions. Uh, let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what your questions are. Uh, we want to thank Dr. Burleson for joining us today. Um, your insight was tremendous, and we are uh, thankful to know you and to have you here at Breed Hardeman um, and for your willingness to come and to help us out today. Isaiah, you have any final thoughts, or Dr. Burleson, any final thoughts? I don't have anything else to add, but like Walker said, we're here for you. We, would, we want to be here for you. Uh, we want to be, to be a resource for you as you walk this Christian walk. And like he said, if there's anything that we can do for you, we would be honored. We would be privileged to be able to help you with that. Um, and again, we're trying to talk about these subjects with love because we know that we're not perfect. Right. We know that we're not pure, but we're trying and we want to help you on as you try to follow God. Uh, so if there's anything that we can do for you, please let us, uh, please let us know. 
uh, from Walker and from Dr. Burleson and from myself. We love you. God loves you. Have a good night.